Hey, this is your host Shane with another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. Today we're going to talk about lemon turquoise. We'll talk about demanitoid, very rare, some fossil news, Mars news, gold mining, and more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at radical rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. The first thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. The agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name. Felt good to have in my hand in the desert. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere. And today we are going to talk about a bunch of them. Um, I guess I messed that up. Anyway, today we're going to talk about a bunch of them. First, I want to wish you all a happy Geologist Day. Turn that off. Messed up twice on that. Um, I was doing some last-minute research, and I just got wrapped up in a world of uh, overload. There's just so much great rock, gemstone, fossil, uh, mineral, mining news out there that I didn't even know where to start. But when I saw the lemon turquoise, I was like, i got to talk about that. Um, The demanitoid was also another pretty cool story. Uh, and discussion about a gemstone, very rare. Also, Edward Scissor's Hands Dino, a new Frankenstein mineral that uh, was created, Fulgal writes. That's uh, where that comes from. And so many more stories. I've got some gold mining stories. I've got a tale from a true prospector and gold miner, rock hounder, um, Asked a friend of mine if I could uh, maybe share some of his stories toward the end of the podcast for those that like the mining uh, type stories and like to hear uh, something more in a story type format. They're kind of short, but uh, something that I really enjoy. So we'll share that if you hang out till the very end. So let's get right into it. Um, It is Geologist Day. I'm getting some coffee right now. I want to wish everybody... A happy geologist day. It was April the 2nd. Um, if it wasn't for geologists, we would uh, we would be needing a lot more knowledge. So if you go to nationaltoday.com, they've got a video there, uh, April the 2nd. It's not an April Fool's joke. It takes place the first Sunday in April every year, dedicated to our geologists, Without them, we'd know nothing about the history of the Earth. Um, Well, I wouldn't say nothing, but we would know a fraction of what we know now. The ground is ever-changing, and always uh, new things and studies and materials are being brought to light. They get a lot of great information from them. When you're gold mining, they say the best place to look for gold is where gold has been found. So geologists give us the stories of where rocks and minerals are found. So they give us good locations of where to go find our gemstones, rocks, and minerals. They talk about the history of Geologist's Day. They talk about Aristotle um, trying to dig deeper into 
different facts and observations about the world. And the Romans learned how to mine rocks, uh, being one of the major civilizations to do so. Of course, it was rocks were mined much earlier than that and used. But uh, all of these things bring us good, good information from the fossils that are found, uh, the studies that are done, um, lots of good stuff. So if you want to read more about this, you can go to uh, National Today and look at the Geologist Day timeline. They talk about the early origins as early as 301 AD, modern geology taking place in the 1800s. James Hutton's is a, a great researcher who shed a lot of light on Earth's geological process and also the continental drifts were brought to our attention in the 1900s by Alfred um, Wedgner and also um, plate tectonics came apart from that. Uh, you're probably familiar with the landmass, the theory that actually has a lot of great evidence that shows that these were connected because of the way the rocks and such match each other was a supercontinent called Pangaea that broke apart uh, over time with floods and such. So there's a lot of history here. There's activities, things like that. If you want to find out some facts about rocks, you can. There's a list of them, quite a lengthy article here if you want to check that out. All right, so next I want to tell you about the Edward Scissorhands scissor-like claws discovered in the UK. You can go to earth.com and look at the, the it's, it's actually called the Rizinosaurus with scissor-like claws. Eric Rells tells us about this groundbreaking discovery of this just amazing uh, bipedal creature. Looks like a dragon uh, from medieval days. And um, it could just slice things up with these giant scissor-like claws. And uh, had uh, thousands of teeth, it says, uh, or specimens have been found, rather. But this creature was um, claws, giant claws could reach up to 3.3 feet, one meter in length. Wow. The claws are among the largest known of any dinosaur. This uh, particular dinosaur belongs to a group of large-bodied theropod dinosaurs. Uh, they are carnivorous, this particular group. They could reach up to 33 feet or 10 meters in length and weigh up to 5 tons. Husky body, small head, long neck, wide torso, torso, hind legs, very sturdy, front limbs with these elongated three large curved claws on each hand. Its feet had four toes. Um, very, very terrifying. Uh, they go into birds and dinosaurs and how they feel that these uh, uh, could have evolved. Next, there is a really great um, article in the Travelers, or tra let's see, it's Travelins.co. So, Travel Lens. Okay, travellens.co, and there's a lapidary museum, the Henderson, uh, Henderson County History Center. They've got a lapidary 
and uh, Mineral Museum there. They actually call it the Mineral and Lapidary Museum on 400 North Main Street. And there is a lot of specimens there that you can go check it out. The museum's free for all ages. That's kind of nice. Beautiful specimens, sparkling minerals, uh, ancient fossils, and a lot of nonprofit people are helping to do this. There's a lot of other events in here that you can check out if you want. Blake Walsh tells us about that at the travellens.com. Now, it's cool enough to find a diamond, but what if you found a diamond inside of a diamond? This one's a, a little different. We've talked about some of these stones within a stone before. And this extremely rare diamond within a diamond was found in India. It's called the beating heart. Well, the diamond that's inside of this is actually loose. So it's almost like a diamond uh, enclosed vase with just a little hole in the top and another diamond crystals inside. Incredibly rare diamond within a diamond found in October. Um, experts claim they've never seen anything like this, according to Sam Truelove at the mirror.co.uk. You can see a picture of it there. They've got it. It is very clear, quite beautiful, and stunning. It's 0.329 carats, so it's only about a third of a carat. And um, very, very rare. They feel that it, it goes back to uh, many, many, uh, back to the ancient of times. Now, before we get into some of the other great stories, I've got the Thule monster, I've got the lemon turquoise, we've got gold mine story, gold mine, um, an actual gold mine we're going to talk about. We've got um, uh, Demanitoid, which is a rare gemstone. We've got all kinds of great stuff to talk about. I want to thank you guys again for tuning in. When you subscribe to the podcast, it helps us grow, um, and we appreciate that. Also, we are on social media. The two biggest social medias where you'll find us is MeWe. I actually have uh, thousands of followers there. And then there's a group on Facebook. You are welcome to join that. Just look up Radical Rocks. Also, we turn up on uh, Radical Rocks USA for certain sites as well. So uh, come check us out. Join the community and be a part of that. Also, our um, YouTube channel, we have quite a few videos on silversmithing we've gone rock hounding in the deserts in different states we have um gold a little bit of gold panning there some fossil hunting all kinds of good stuff shop stuff things like that so kind of down home style that's just the way we roll here and we appreciate your support all right the new Thule monster is revealed um this strange creature Looks like a cuttlefish to me, kind of, but it has this uh, a weird uh, extended, like long neck and pincher, which makes it look so bizarre. They're not even sure what kind of animal group it is. They do not think it's a vertebrae. They think it is more of like a, a shellfish or a crustacean. Found at Mazon Creek in. Uh, the state of Illinois uh, in the United States. It was discovered in the 1950s. Not very big. Um, it is bizarre. They feel that it is uh, hundreds of millions of years old. It has confounded paleontologists with its strange um, 
body shape, it is difficult to classify. And it's very small, I think uh, 15 centimeters. So it's kind of small, not real big. But uh, they have a clear imprint of this creature. Again, if you've ever seen uh, like a cuttlefish or a squid, it kind of looks like that on one side. And then the other side, it looks like it has like a either a, a claw or like a bird's beak and, and head. Um, they did some research on it in 1966. The Thule monster with its stocked eyes uh, and long neck is not comparable to any other animal that uh, has been found to date. Now these are extremely rare. Uh, might be worth looking for these. It would be hard to find. It was class uh, cast in, looks like a clay type, sandstone type casting. And then, of course, they have x-rayed this, and they have gone through it and looked at it, scanned it. It says uh, they have studied, there is 150 of these monsters so far, and 70 other varied animal fossils from Mazone Creek. And with 3D laser scanners, uh, they have these color-coded three-dimensional maps that show these irregularities. So being that they found so many of them, this uh, strange fish-like crustacean or creature is uh, very rare and one-of-a-kind. You can check this article out if you want. Um, don't see any credit to anyone, but it is the... MirageNews.com, M-I-R-A-G-E.com, and look up new details of the Thule Monster Revealed, and you can find out all about that. Now, the oldest bat skeletons, according to the City Life Org, city, thecitylife.org, you can see some of these fossils that are imprinted in this uh, sediment. And uh, this is a new species that they found of one of these bats. And it is in the American Museum of National History's research collections. Mick uh, Ellison tells us about these fossils and uh, the findings of these new bats. They've, they've uncovered about 30 bat fossils in the last 60 years. And um, they thought they were all... Uh, couple of two species, but now they found some that are a little bit different. This is known as the Green River Formation, where they find these. It is um, thought to have been a single species in there, but now they found a second one. And uh, you can read all about this. Let's see if they have anything on how big it was. We had read about some giant bats earlier. But uh, it says the fossil lake deposit in the Green River Formation is simply amazing because the conditions that create paper-thin limestone layers also preserved nearly everything that settled to the lake's bottom, said the park manager and curator at Fossil Butte National Monument in Wyoming. One of these bat specimens was found at the lower section than all the other bats, and that's where they found this other species. So pretty cool if you want to check that out. There's also some other articles about bats um, that are currently existing today. Below that, if you scroll down. Now, how about a Frankenstein mineral? 
Lightning creates an alien mineral on Earth. David Bresson tells us about this at Forbes.com. And um, they have some spectacular pictures of the lightning shooting across the sky. Fulgurite is what is the, I guess you could say, a fossilized remain of a lightning strike. So when the lightning strikes... If the sand is uh, of the right consistency and everything is just perfect, it can form uh, these uh, crystallized formations of, of sand melted together from the lightning strike. And some people even have found ways to create these with by using um, like welding devices or electricity. This could be very dangerous. I don't recommend you, anyone try that. But there are people who do that. You can always look up the YouTube videos if you want to check that out. But this occurs on Earth naturally. Uh, also, they say the same uh, similar things happen to meteorites in space. But this mineral, they say, could be a new mineral, um, a new mineral group. And when the lightning explodes on the ground, it typically explodes uh, out. The surrounding grass dies, forming a scar and sending the electrical discharge through nearby rock, soil, sand, forming the fulgurites that we were talking about. So a tree was struck uh, by lightning at the Newport Ricci neighborhood in Florida, the homeowners discovered that the intense heat of the electrical discharge melted sediment around the roots, forming droplets and tube-like fulgurites made of glass-like material. So this one person here took a look at it. Um, Lucia Bindi, a professor of mineralogy at the University of Florence in Italy, claims that a new mineral was formed inside of this and um, that is what they're talking about. So because it was uh, <clears throat> uh, unusual chemicals and iron phosphates, rich in carbon, all of these things were unusual, they said. The samples from the Newport Ricci show unusual chemical compositions rich in carbon, iron, and phosphorus. Wet environments will often accumulate in crust tree roots. In this case, not only did the lightning strike and combust the iron on the tree roots, but it combusted the naturally occurring carbon in the tree as well. The two elements led to a chemical reaction that created a new crystal-like matter inside the fulgurite. So they said so far only the chemical composition is known, but uh, what this mineral is, they have not uh, declared it yet. They're going to do some more um, experiments are actually going to try to recreate it in a lab. We'll see how that works. But uh, David Breeson tells us all about this new Frankenstein mineral that was born of lightning. Now, got all kinds of great stories left for you. Um, our friends at Gold Rush Expeditions send me emails. Some of them are pretty interesting. The old gold mines and things like that that uh, they do sell. Sometimes have some pretty cool history. They have this Nake property. It is a 77-acre uh, load mining claim, rather. And uh, there is, it was a fluorite mine, 
They produced as much as $20 million worth of fluorite prior to World War II. They use this for flux. Flux is used to um, purify minerals when they are being cast, like if you're trying to uh, uh, purify silver or gold, or if you're welding or soldering, you will use flux to help uh, keep the metal clean and pure, and that uh, is the technique. By 1951, this mine had largely been abandoned, uh, but there was copper. There was copper that uh, set underneath the fluorite. By the end of the, by the mid 1950s, the use of fluorite as a scientific tool was replaced by synthetics, and the demand vanished nearly overnight. The Nikkei mine was left with thousands of tons of mined reserves. In addition, 30 tons of mid-grade fluorite material. Fluoride at the Nikkei comes in a limited array of colors. Green from dark to opaque light, luminescent mint hue. Blues and purples are common as a range of deep violet occur in translucent aqua shade. There's also some yellow colorations, but they are not as abundant as the greens and blues. So um, this area here has different minerals. Of course, fluorite is most mostly the uh, big one. Some people use this for jewelry. Uh, the metaphysicist group or the crystal groups think that there is a healing property. Um, I certainly would not say that is medically proven at all. Um, also, as mineral specimens, uh, that can be quite beautiful. And then there is placer gold in the area. There is this copper deposit that is down there. And um, let's see what else. That is about it for that. Okay. Let me... Where happened to my... Oh, here we go. All right. Let's see here. Whoops. And we will check out one more mining claim here. We're going to find a nice gold area for you. I had I had another gold mining story to tell you too. I want to save that till the end. King Midas Gold in Arizona at the old uh, Blanco Mining District, Santa Cruz County, Arizona. Um, this is a great uh, gold mining area with lots of... Um, it's near... Rio Rico, and um, this gold mining claim goes back clear to the 1850s, if not earlier. So this was probably mined maybe by Native Americans or uh, Mexicans. The gold is enriched with silver, which gives the gold its distinct color. In the 1850s, miners in the area had long worked this, this along with Spaniards and Mexican miners. Um, they claim that the area is still able to be uh, updated and prospect today. The King Midas has primary gold deposit that stretches a long, wide, expo exposed band of weathered quartz and rhyolite. Um, there is shafts that have been cut along the quartz veins and audits cut into the canyon walls along the creek. There's usually a minimal flow of water around this area. Um, you will see gold and silver in the area has largely been separated in the past by using a rasters to rudely crush 
the oars and separate by hand. Silver in the area forms in the horned silver type and needs very little processing. It is large and pure. There are cases where gold and silver form together. The silver is crushed from the gold and separated by heat. The value of the white gold as specimens average more than 10 times the average price of gold, a 1.1 pound quartz specimen with an estimated 1.3 ounces of white gold from the King Midas property sold in 2020 at the Denver Hard Rock Show for $26,000. Says in the past, in the 1950s likely, uh, there was a road that was cut through the mine and audit uh, into and shafts into the mineralized belt. There was some makeshift loading platforms that were built on concrete and rail just above the second audit. Some raw gold can be found in the raw in the creek bed with minimal panning, indicating that there is still gold in the area. So this again is put out by the uh, Gold Rush Expeditions. If you want to look at some mines there um, or find out about the history of different areas, they usually have that. Now, how about mining space rocks? It is a high risk, high reward. Startups are still eager to mine space rocks. We go nbcnews.com and you can find the article under that title that uh, startups are still eager to mine these space rocks. Denise Chow tells us about these startups. One of them is called Astroforge, which aims to mine platinum from asteroids. So apparently some of these asteroids are, are giant chunks of platinum or have a lot of platinum on them. So this is uh, very tantalizing for those who want to make some money. Uh, seems like it would be expensive. They're going to study the space rock up close. Um, they have their first mission Tuesday to demonstrate key technologies that could finally turn asteroid mining into a reality. They have a second test flight planned later this year. A uh, company founded in 2021, very ambitious. Um, and there they go. They're trying to find stuff. They're poised to pick up where others have failed. They uh, feel that this could really happen. Of course, this is very speculative. They feel they can robotically mine near-Earth asteroids and um, be able to profit from this. I don't know. They'll probably find a way to steer it off course, land it into the Earth, and destroy us all. It says platinum is valued at almost $15,000 per pound. Palladium is valued at $32,000 per kilogram, which is almost $15,000 per pound. Asteroids can contain other precious minerals and rare earths that are essential for producing many consumer electronics. So the next frontier is really in space. So you can read more about this article. Um, It does go on for a little way, so there is some more substance to it if that is a subject that interests you. I want to get into Demanitoid. Demanitoid is beautiful. Um, this has a great value. If you go to the um, IGS site, the gymsociety.org, um, the International Gym Society, and look up um, Demanitoid Garnet Value Price and Jewelry Information, this is one of the rarest garnet varieties. Demanitoid can have green color that rivals emeralds and a fire that exceeds a diamond. They are highly prized by both gym collectors 
and jewelry enthusiast. Okay, so Joel E. Areem uh, and Donald Clark from the International Gym Society. They've got uh, all kinds of acronyms behind their names. These are very smart guys. They've got some beautiful pictures of this uh, demanitoid garnet. One of the things that makes them so beautiful is the inclusions. The inclusions uh, can be of a um, asbestos type. So these uh, little sticks and spears can be patterned and scattered through this in such a way that can make it very expensive for carrot. Um, the most valuable type of demanitoid is with the horse tail inclusions. So literally looks like um, kind of like a horseshoe tail. If you imagine the hairs all uh, kind of bowing in through the stone. And they're very beautiful. They can be waxy, golden, fibrous, especially green, different shades of green, very coveted by um, collectors. The Ural Mountains in Russia are some beautiful ones. They have some pictures from Rob uh, Levinsky. You can go to www.irox.com and look at some of the pictures that he has. Joel E. Arim, which is A-R-E-M, also has some uh Demanitoids from Russia, which he has pictured here at the gymsociety.org if you want to look that up. They are quite beautiful. Not all demanitoids uh, make good jewelry, but the most the hard ones um, that can be faceted and look quite beautiful, uh, emerald color, are going to get some big, big money. Russian czars particularly favored this gem. For a long time, Russia was the only source. But since the 1990s, Nambia, Madagascar, and other locations, as well as renewed mining in Russia, have made this gem uh, more obtainable, but it's still very desirable and expensive. The horsetail inclusions um, can be bisolite or uh, chrysolite and golden in color. These are the hairs that are in it named after their long, wavy appearance. These inclusions have long been discovered a, uh, a way of figuring out how to identify uh, demanitoids, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a demanitoid if it has the horsetail in it or not, okay? Uh, that is just something that it could often have in it and will give it great value. There's some beautiful pictures here. Um, there's no synthetic ones really being made. Um, they are found all over the place. Again, Russia and so forth. They've got a beautiful one cut up here. They uh, have some in a matrix. Very, very beautiful. you got to check this out. Stone sizes are rarely over a carat once they're faceted. The largest one was 252.5 carats um, that was found. And the Smithsonian has one that is 11.5. 2-4. It is uh, faceted and quite beautiful from um, Madagascar, I believe. Trade names for the stone are Siberian emeralds, um, crystal tights, Ural crystal tights, um, and garnets and such are names that have been attributed to this. 
Some of them are lighter green or darker green. Um, again, just the more beautiful they are, the more value they have. And there's a little um, uh, write-ups on each of these, the PhD, the Joel Arim, and uh, also Donald Clark uh, on the bottom of the article if you want to check that out. Now you can always go to mindat.org and find out about the Demanitoids more. They have some pictures of them in their natural crystal form. They're just as beautiful from the earth. Oftentimes these crystals can be quite spectacular. Um, not always huge, but they are found in Italy, China, uh, are some real beautiful specimens that you can find there. These, um, when I look at the map, it does show some up toward Canada and uh, some at the bottom of South America. It does show locations all around the globe, some uh, in Africa, South Africa, and uh, Russia, of course. And looks like there might even be some up in Europe, uh, 26 different mines there. So mindat.org is a great source if you want to do a little more research on that. All right, let's see what do we got left here okay let's talk about lemon turquoise now i don't know have you ever heard of buffalo turquoise buffalo turquoise is a white turquoise um supposedly uh it is there's one mine and it is very close to turquoise it's not true turquoise but it has a lot of the similar minerals uh it's very hard and then there's halite. Now, halite looks like a white turquoise, but it's not very hard. It is kind of a, um, not calcite, but like a, that type of a mir a mineral, you know, something that is going to get, uh, if you put vinegar on it, it'll probably start to bubble and, and get ate up. It's not going to be as hard and durable as, uh, as a turquoise when it comes to that. So lemon turquoise Seems to be kind of a trade name. If you look up lemon turquoise, you're going to see some really cool stuff. Typically what this is, is a tigerite, which tigerite, when you look that up, you're probably going to find a lot of stuff that comes up as tiger eye because it is a mineral that is in tiger's eye, but it is usually with asbestos fibers. And um, it is hardened. It's usually harder with... Uh, uh, like a silica, and um, so you can find it that way too. Now, in this case, uh, sometimes you can find this lemon turquoise as a kind of a jasper, so it would have a silica in it, it would be harder. This would be a very high quality, but uh, tigerite can also be found with hematite. So this is the black that gives it the swirl, and I guess this is why they call it a yellow turquoise, because when you think of turquoise, um, sometimes you think of these inclusions that are in it. They can be black, they can be brown, they can be spider webbing, things like that. Um, just like when you think of the halite, how it's white with the black veins and things like that going through it. But uh, this can come, I couldn't find a lot of information on it, um, but it can come from China. You will find stuff for sale. It says China. And you will find it on eBay. You will find it on Etsy, different things like that. Um, one designer says at the earthlyicons.com, earthlyicons.com, if you look up lemon turquoise, tigerite, and 
hematite designer cut cabochon designer cabochons they have one for sale here uh it's 52 dollars. it looks kind of like a um a triangle i guess shape with the instead of straight edges to the corners they're slightly rounded and they says this is completely different this cabochon of lemon turquoise aka yellow african turquoise which was a standout color interesting pattern and translucent well i would tell you it's not it's not it doesn't look translucent at all it looks um you can't see through it but it does seem to take a nice shine it's not actually a turquoise but a combination of tigerite and hematite and they say uh, this is what they were informed and they were not able to find more information than that so if you're looking for a unique one-of-a-kind gemstone this would fit the bill it's four to six on the most scale so i'm thinking this stuff that they're selling doesn't have a lot of silica in it it may be more of a carbonite or uh, a carbonic uh, type or a calcite type base that it is in but you can check that out now i want to tell you a story i have a friend of mine he is a real prospector and gold miner He's done many, many things throughout his life. Um, he goes by the name of Cole Younger, and you can look him up on, on eBay, uh, or you can look him up on Facebook. Um, on eBay, I, I, forget his, uh, I forget his handle for eBay, but uh, on Facebook, it's Cole Younger, and he does prospecting, and I've gone prospecting with him, and he is just really a fun guy really great at telling stories in the kind of way that i like to hear stories the way that a real sourdough would tell a story in my opinion and if you don't know what a sourdough is then you're probably not going to appreciate these type of stories but if you like old kind of that talk from days gone by from somebody who's been out there in the hills and really done stuff you'll like this so I'm going to go ahead and read one of these stories from uh, Cole Younger with a C, C-O-L-E, Younger. And uh, so here he is telling a story about some of his days out prospecting and his buddies. And this is how he kind of speaks about these mining guys and his buddies and whatnot. So here goes. Collectively... They looked like a bag of beef jerky, bent and burnt to a toughness from years and years of mining and prospecting the world. These ancient bachelors were as willing to share their experiences and views of the world with a young pup just beginning to seek his fortune as my wife was to share our meals with them. Some in their 80s, a couple of them in their late 90s, and Smitty was aged 102, crowding 103 in the mid-70s. Fred Smith was what proper folks called him. The rest of them called him Smitty. Now having a pretty young wife that could cook sure set well with the old-timers. And we would sit outdoors in lawn chairs, on stumps, in kitchen chairs, five-gallon buckets, and a dog, if he stayed in one spot too long, 
you watch the sun set over Highway 66 and the Sarabat Mountains dark and looming in the distance as they shared their treasures and stories. Three of them were in the Yukon Gold Rush of 1896. Dan still had a mastodon tooth with gold embedded on the molar from a mastodon chewing vegetation that had gold. Dan told me of sandbars on the river with tusks and teeth all over the gravels. They just threw them on the side. They were too heavy, and they had no real value to them. Now, after these guys gave their old mining gear to my wife, on the condition I could use them if she let me, they decided that Smitty would show us where to get some of those nuggets he kept in his shoebox. So loading the truck with a 55-gallon steel drum, a bunch of five-gallon buckets, the wife and Smitty and all of us, we started toward the Lost Basin, the King Tut area, which was new to me. Smitty had lost his sight many years before, so he guided us through the myriads of trails that meandered through the Joshua trees by memory. We stopped at a small dig in the middle of nowhere, and he instructed me to start digging in the red clay layer. About four hours of this, and I knew why those old dudes were bent up. Nonetheless, we headed back to Shorty's with a truck full of dirt, and the next day proceeded to run the material through an improvised sluice made from three-inch PVC, about ten feet long. Dang! Now I do normally use such I don't normally use such strong language, but man, we were finding two to three gram coarse gold nuggets with large purple garnets. Through the years, we wandered back and forth to that spot whenever we were in the area. Two and three gram nuggets were common, and one ounce nuggets were the occasional treat. But the real treasure was listening to those old cats that were there and sought their fates and fortunes clawing at the earth. And I am forever grateful to those bent-up old men that had no family except each other for sharing their life stories. And he wrote this about Christmas time, so he wishes everyone a Merry Christmas and happy trails, and God bless you, my friends. So that's uh, one of the stories. If you like that story, get a hold of me on Facebook or on MeWe. Just look up Radical Rocks, join our group, and let me know. I appreciate it. Until next time, remember, rock hounds don't die, they petrify.